This episode of the podcast has been brought to you by Sweet Cheetah Publicity. Sweet Cheetah is an inclusive, socially conscious PR collective that puts their money where their mouth is. They have a current roster of bands that reads like a greatest hits anthology. Brainiac, Catholic School, Jawbox, The New Amsterdams, Oceans in the Sky. I mean, the list goes on and on. They also do PR for record labels such as A La Carte, Arctic Rodeo, Steadfast, Rad Girlfriend, and so many more. How do they pay it forward? How do they put their money where their mouth is? By generating thousands of dollars in annual charitable donations to the likes of Women in Vinyl, Coalition of Communities of Color, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, and many, many more. The man has the receipts. I've seen them. It is real. The artists, labels, and podcasts Sweet Cheetah works with are curated with an eye on working primarily with friends. You could find Sweet Cheetah on all of the social media platforms, be it Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just look for Sweet Cheetah PR and they will be there. He's been Tim. I've been Peter. And Sweet Cheetah has been beautiful. Welcome to another edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I'm your host, Peter, and I am still here. And tonight, it is my honor and privilege to give to you a band that I have been enamored of since the early 90s, a band that changed the face of punk and indie rock in a manner that few have been able to recreate that band being the one and only the celebrated the lauded the worshipped brainiac this past january brainiac released the predator nominate an archival ep that was issued for record store day on vinyl and was a welcome addition to my personal collection and to pop culture at large we haven't had a brainiac record in so long i mean we got the attic tapes in 2021 also uh from dayton ohio but before that it would have been hissing pigs and static couture which was 1996 before that 94's bonsai superstar and 93's highly influential Smack Bunny Baby. Of course, there are a slew of EPs dating back far before that. But this band had such a crucial impact on the landscape of independent music. They were media darlings. They were that band that your cooler older cousin was into. You know, they were whispered about they were tape traded that like they were the subject of more adulation than practically any band that had come before or have come since 
And tonight, I give you that conversation. Before we get to that, though, I do want to thank everyone for your support, for listening, for sharing, for uh, rating, reviewing, subscribing. Please keep that going. If you love what we're doing, and hey, what's not to love, right? (laughs) If you love what we're doing, keep that up. Keep giving that energy, and I will keep giving you this sort of content. I'm confident that if you give me the time to listen to what I produce, you're going to get something that you probably wouldn't have gotten anywhere else because, you know, podcasts can be very stuffy, very boring, and I get that. And sometimes my episodes run a little long. I get that too. That's not the case this evening. This is short and sweet. You can get through the entire thing in under one hour's time. I know for the diehards, that's probably a little disappointing. But it cuts through a lot of, you know, the meandering that I can fall into and gets right to the information. Uh, We still have the talk And if you're a frequent listener, you know the talk, you know the question, you know where I'm going with things. That all occurs. But it's just the the structure of of the interview, the conversation, uh, that makes it very concise, compact, and and hard-hitting to a degree. Also, a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughs. There was a lot of levity going on between us. Good rapport great people. Uh, I love my emails with John Schmerzel. I, uh, <laughs> I look forward to them. He, he's a very witty character and he pulls no punches. He is exactly who he, you know, claims to be. He's, he's just a really happy, really fun human being that I feel privileged to have an avenue with which to speak to him. He's that cool. So please, rate, review, subscribe, and most of all, just give us, give us a, a little chance, you know, give me, a, give me a little listen, help me help you, help me love you, I swear it'll be groovy. A little word. Uh, for our sponsor that doesn't get enough due on air, wordforwordinterpretation.com. They are a translation and interpretation firm. They are available wherever you are to translate and interpret any language you speak. You can find them at wordforwordinterpretation.com. Now that we've gotten through that, it is my pleasure, my honor, my privilege to give to you John Schmerzel, Juan Monasterio, Tyler Trent, Tim Krug, Brainiac, on the book, A Very, Very Bad Things Podcast. We're entering 
into the zone. Hello. Hey, how are you? Yeah. I'm well. How are you? Gosh, sorry. Uh, we, we, uh, you, you, did you live here before? No, I just have oh. a lot of. I have a lot of friends there. I've been gotcha. to a million of your shows back in the yeah. day. So. I don't know why. I, yeah, I guess. Anyway, I was going to mention a guy from here. We ended up. He was talking our ear off, and we had to make our way across town to get back to the studio. So. <laughs> All good, all good. So, uh, do you wanna, like, we're all kind of around here. This is just this is just audio, but it's nice to see your face, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, I just okay. do the video just so we could kind of get more of a rapport. It's it's nicer. I don't know I'm or not, but I've got a great poker face, so we'll see. <laughs> so right. I I'm just for the sake of legality. Can I get your names and permission? Your, your permission uh, just to record your voice for the purposes of this podcast. Sure. If you want a stereo, you have my permission. Uh, I'm Tim Krug, and you can permit yourself to use this recording. Hello, <laughs> Trent. You have my permission. I'm John Schmerzel, and I approve of this message. Wonderful. <laughs> so you guys have been, uh, you've been touring. Or playing shows. I, I guess touring is probably not quite yet. We've gathered and we've played practice two days now. And the tour will begin on well, we're leaving on we're leaving on Tuesday. Tuesday and we start playing on Thursday, I guess. Yeah. So bearing that in mind, uh you guys haven't for the most part like toured in that is correct. How long? Like even even like in your respective like projects that are uh, outside of Brainiac. I'm I mean I'm sure they've played shows, but like a large scale tour, taking on something like that in the age group that we are but we're all in has to be daunting. How are you preparing yourselves for that? A lot of calisthenics, <laughs> stretching. John, John Tuber is still a lot, so it's the rest of us who are in trouble. Okay. Well, I, I know, I know, John, you've always kind of like, right after Brainiac ended, you kind of still played. You dove headlong into other projects. Everybody else kind of went in different directions. So I guess your muscle is still toned and ready to go. So I, I mean, guess- it kind of just happened, but yeah, like part of the reason why this is happening in the first place is because I was doing uh, some... I play in the band Caribou live band, and we were playing some festivals past summer. And uh, I ran into the Mogwai guys. We were sharing a festival stage, and I told them we were gonna have because uh, Stuart was in the documentary and stuff. Yeah. And so I I was just explaining to them that we, you know, keep it to yourselves, but we are we have this like archival EP coming out, and we were probably gonna we were like talking about playing a few shows around that basically, and then couple weeks later they sent me a message saying like would you be interested in opening the uk tour that we're going to do in february and i was like (laughs) so i reached out to these guys about it and i just kind of thought like there's no way we can all coordinate our schedules and do this and everyone made concessions and figured it out so well when you consider you know everyone having jobs and you know you know lives it's it's tough when you're in your 20s to do something like that if you have, you know, any sort of career outside of music. How does how does that like how did you all clear your schedules make this happen? It, was it just kismet? Did it just so happen everyone had the 
the time off or, or how did that go down? Yeah, I think so. It helps us also early in the year so we can just exhaust all of our vacation days in <laughs> <by> February. <laughs> that, that's me at least. That's mainly how, how I would say it probably happened. Yeah. yeah. I was no. just enough that my, my break was starting in December uh, and I didn't have anything really lined up until like spring basically so it was perfect timing other than that's in february and that it's in the uk it was perfect timing <laughs> now it, it is a different climate right now i mean for most of the bands that the people who are going to be coming to see you they're they're into the bands that are inspired by you guys mm. so uh, it, it's not like a play on age or anything like that but it's undisputed that Brainiac had their massive repercussions from what you guys had done. So many bands have not directly ripped you off, but damn near close. Um, your influence is felt broadly. Do you feel that you're going to be coming back into this, into a wave of acceptance? Or do you think you're going to have to win over crowds? I don't think you're going to have to, but we we sure hope so. <laughs> that's the hope, but you never know. I mean, I feel like that's really hard. I I like to keep an open mind about it, but I also, am, I mean, the one one thing about it is that the Mogwai are like essentially peers. I mean, they've been yeah. also a band for 25, 30 years now, so their fans or some they probably have some young fans, but. They also have fans that are like our age groups, which may, you know, there may be crossover fans and or just people who knew who we were and will be hopefully excited to see us play. But it's always a, a little bit of a crapshoot when you're the opener on for another band, you know. So it's yeah. good to keep an open mind that people may just be like, huh, biding their time. <laughs> <laughs> I would think, though, uh, in light of this, in light of the fact that this, you know, archival EP, it's almost an album. It's nine songs, but it's it's an archival EP. It's longer than Electroshock for President, actually. Well, but yeah, by far. <laughs> um, it's three songs more, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Um, with the In light of this happening, there's got to be, you know, a, a, a reintroduced vigor into your collective musical... Uh, egos and ids does this spark something in you guys maybe to not do brainiac again but something akin to it together i mean we all live so far away I mean, tim and and tyler live in dayton but it's juan and i juan recently moved back to southern california so he and i are like a couple hours drive from each other but you know it's it's it sounds fun and we all love each other and it's super it's, we've been talking and you know as much as we have been like playing the songs in between but i don't i yeah it's hard to say it's it's just great that this opportunity presented itself and so we get to you know hang out and do all that stuff but i guess it's kind of one step at a time we were lucky it's just lucky enough to be able to do this for you know 16 or 17 days plus the you know practice time uh but i mean i'm in a couple other projects that are challenged by you know uh location 
you know, where we don't live. So even for those things, it's like a lot to get together just to play any shows. And so yeah. I feel like it's kind of about the opportunity, but, but I mean, every time I play the, this go back and play these Brainiac tunings, it's like really inspiring. And so part of me is a little bit like, wow, I should really like write a new batch of songs in this tuning. And, and that's kind of inspiring. But I don't, I don't know if any of us have ever given any thought to like, you know, doing more stuff necessarily just because we're geographically challenged. Maybe. Right. Yeah. I think Juan and I would back a solo project for John. <laughs> there you go. There, admittedly, though, you have you you kind of have to see that there's something intrinsically different about Brainiac than even everything that was happening in your purview when you were originally a band. It's there. There's a reason why people are so spiritually connected to that music because there was legitimately nothing like it before or since to walk back into those shoes. Are you kind of like trying to channel your youthful selves in order to kind of get into that headspace to recreate this music? Or is it just like second nature at this point, since you did indeed help with the impetus of it? Uh, what do you guys think? I don't know. It's, it's, I feel like I kind of have to get back into a character that is that person oh, from back then. Like, you know, I think, yeah, it's definitely mm -hmm. a little bit of channeling. That's part of it for me, I guess. And also just like the whole time we've been doing any of this stuff, it's, with the mind that like yeah we're not trying to like reinvent this band we're trying to like celebrate the music and the legacy you know of what you know timid started so uh but yeah so i kind of think about it more with adult eyes but also i want people to like experience this music as close as possible you know like no one else is going to be able to present this music like we can so yeah. yeah for me it's like there's a real sense of gratitude just that i got to be a part of it to begin with and like when we come back to do these things it's like oh man these songs are actually really freaking great <laughs> <laughs> like, i forgot you kind of forgot like well this was amazing got to be a part of this fantastic yeah. and you're getting to live like a completely different life outside of where you're currently residing because you're an assistant uh pastor are you not yeah i am i'm an associate pastor right here in dayton the suburb of kettering that's incredible and so you get to basically get, feed people spiritually on two vastly dissimilar disparate levels because that's there's the spiritual like the codified christian spirituality which i'm christian as well so you're feeding that and you're also feeding into like the youthful abandon of of the love of music i mean that's got to be a very unique perspective for you to bring back into this yeah i think definitely so absolutely i i couldn't i couldn't fathom it <laughs> to be honest. i couldn't yeah, fathom it's, it just it's, it's interesting for me too because it's uh sometimes it's difficult for people to process that i'm a pastor now because they just, you know, have experiences with me in the past that were not so pastorally, you know, I guess, in their perception. But um, yeah, it's it's been an absolute privilege to get to do this. And, and I love what I'm doing now as well. And I'm playing drums at my church and I'm part of the music there. But so I was telling the guys over dinner earlier, it's uh, 
it's a whole different whole different beast drumming wise i'm having to relearn how to play punk rock drums <laughs> with the calluses to prove it absolutely <laughs> the andrew brothers uh mentioned to me that uh you were uh the pastor at joe's church if i'm not mistaken yeah joe, joe goes to life point church by pastor yeah that yeah, was a great guy that really like spun me when i heard that it was he was on the show like eight months ago and he'd mentioned that and it just blew my mind and made me very happy oh, wow. um, you'd That's be cool. surprised you'd be surprised how many uh ex-punk musicians are in the in different sectors of the clergy or our pastors and whatnot it's it's more widespread than one would grant credence to believe it or not yeah so when on the road it's not going to be that same experience that you guys would have had way back in your uh salad days uh no pun intended where you're running into people like marilyn manson on the road like coming and crashing uh <laughs> your your hotel rooms and whatnot it's good it's gonna be probably more peaceful for you but i th i would think that would lend to a better performance the next day uh, you know, i mean you... since i've been still touring and stuff i i kind of knew what to expect as far as like i mean things have first of all since we tour in the uk the conditions and or you know have drastically improved and like just even roadside services are like I mean, they used to be really awful, uh, and now they—they're—I would say they've—they—the—the it, you know, America pales in comparison to how like great the rest stops are there. You can get like you know, whatever, like nice salads and fruit salads and things like that at almost every single rest stop. There's like a Marks Spencer, you know, these kinds of things. So. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot more civilized because <laughs> we're adults and we, we, I mean, we got hotels for it versus like asking to stay on floors because we were you after know. your last song. By the way, need a place to stay. Yeah. What, which punk house has a nice squat we could go and lay on the floor and have roaches crawl over our bodies while we're trying to sleep? <laughs> well, I'm excited for that, John, the rest stops because back in the day it was just a Roy Rogers fixing bar. Yep, exactly. But, burger toppings yeah hoping they had the uh the vegan bacos and whatnot <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so when you get the call though uh is is there that twinge of you know like almost fear like oh my god can we do this was there any sort of apprehension i don't think so just because we had already We'd done it over the past couple of years through the, you know, we did it first for, uh, you know, in Dayton before the documentary. And then when the documentary happened, there was the show in New York. And then during one of the shows as the, uh, you know, the documentary was like kind of premiering around the country in different places and stuff. And we played a show in L.A. where it was uh they played the film in the other room and then we played a show and that one fred armison was the guest but he sang one song so i i think we kind of decided like after that night that it was kind of like we we've done this thing with with guests um more partially because you know we you know out of kind of respect of of that thing where you know tim was the main singer and and have people help us like celebrate this but 
you know, that particular night, he, you know, he had only, Fred had only sang one song. We're kind of like, well, we are kind of doing this on our own at this point. Maybe we should, when we, when we knew that the EP was going to come out and we talked about playing a couple of shows, that that's sort of like maybe how we would approach it without doing like, you know, guests and kind of making it a more compact thing. And then, of course, when we got offered the tour, we had to do it that way because we can't bring a pile of guests with us on tour. Yeah, so. that, that's just not tenable. Mm. But um, coming into this too, I, I'm sure that you guys had at one point approached Tim's mom about all this, correct? Uh, at what point? Well, well, when the idea of <laughs> uh, the idea of you know taking the show on the road again, so to speak. Oh yeah, that, like this particular thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I mean, she's been abreast, uh, you know, for all the archival stuff that's come out. And, you know, ever since the documentary has happened, you know, we've, we've all been more in contact with her and so forth. So, yeah, we, that blessing has, has been there. Um, and also, I mean, I've mentioned this a few times before, but like at Tim's memorial service, his dad and uh, Ernie Nisley came up to me at one point. And we're just like, are you going to keep the band going? Basically was the question. It was just like, I absolutely blew me away. I couldn't even like conceive that that was like a question that they, that, you know, like Terry would ask. Uh, but it, it, it also made me feel good. Like by the time we got to, to doing it even for the first time that it was like, we had a, we knew we had Terry, Terry was dead at that point, but we knew we had Terry's blessing and, like I kind of think about it more in like a sort of how I like they would approach things in the jazz world because it was more the music was more important than the yeah than the membership itself yeah yeah it seems to me that the, like even a, the idea of a band in the jazz world wasn't really necessarily you know considered to be you know something that that they held dear per se because people would come and go there would be session musicians. There would be, you know what I mean? Like Miles Davis. Miles, yeah. Miles Davis had an all-star cast for kind of blue, but when he would go and play it, all of those people had their own careers. He would have other musicians come in and do it, you know? Um, that's not, that doesn't really hold true for the punk world, so to speak, or the indie rock world. But the fact that the idea that they thought you could continue this, was tenable absolutely beautiful mm. um one of the main reasons i do this show <laughs> and it's the only question uh that the show is based on really is about fear and about existential fear i ask every artist this because it kind of gives me an idea of what type of person they are uh the question being what is it that terrifies you on an existential level i know it sounds trite but it seems to me that that's where the kernel of the person always seems to lie within the fear, you know, what it is they fear. I mean, weirdly, I feel like it changes for me, actually. Like, there was a time period in my life where I was like, I'm not afraid to die. Like, I'm comfortable in my skin and who I am and all that kind of stuff. And I just felt like I'd done a lot of things in my life that I was very happy with. And so that I, at a certain point, I was just like, you know, like, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of that thing. 
I think that that's kind of changed as I've become an older adult. I'm more afraid to like, I'm more afraid not of the death itself of me, but like leaving my loved ones behind and stuff like that. Like that does the responsibility of that, like weighs more heavily on me than it did. So, but it kind of basically that, that thing changes. I don't, I'm trying to remember what it was when I told myself I wasn't afraid to die then, but it was probably not death, but just getting older. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing too about aging, right? Like we all fear getting older and then we get there and realize it wasn't that bad. Exactly. And then it's on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So any, any of the rest of you have a, an answer to that? I think fear of getting older, fear of death, they're sort of intertwined. I think I thought you were afraid of the robots taking over. No, I knew that the robots taking over. He's pro robot. I'm pro robot. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. Todd GPT. Yeah, I'd say recently, I think it's just fear of getting older more than even fear of death. Like, you know, what kind of, what are you going to be like when you are really old? Like in your late 70s, who's going to take care of you when you can't take care of yourself? That kind of a of a thing um but i you know i have a pretty healthy fear of death also i think that's just been through my whole life i'm just a fearful person i think i, I, <laughs> <laughs> so I think he's just afraid of fear is that i'm a fearful person yeah. i book to to speak better to him though i think the way he, he uses fear as a catalyst like he thinks ahead because like he drive. he realizes like whatever he's thinking ahead in a fearful way and it motivates you to prepare for things like you you that's the way i look at your your sort of thing you're always looking ahead and like yeah yeah definitely taking well, the steps yeah. one, one fears de- thinking one fears death and he'll be the first man to live to 150. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing though right like the things that you fear help kind of like mold who you are and and inform yeah. inform your morality even more so in my opinion, because if it's it's like the apes, for example, they when a, an atrocity occurs within a group of of simians, they watch it very very closely because that's what they learn from. That's what they know. Okay, I don't want that to happen to me, so I'm not going to do whatever it is that made this bad thing happen to this ape. Same thing with us. Things that terrify us. Yeah, sometimes we stick our hand a little too far into the sauce as far as that's concerned, but it's because we're trying to learn from it and trying to escape that. Same thing with the the fear of age, the fear of death. We prepare for that so that we what we fear the most doesn't befall us. If that makes sense. That's the way I see it anyway. Yeah. I think most fears underline or an end result are the fear of death, you know, many, many fears lead to that, that exact thing. Mm. For me, I don't fear death, but I'm kind of like what, um, John was saying more of what you're leaving. And so I have a 20 year old boy, uh, mm. Noah and my wife, Jennifer, who I love more than anything on planet earth. So I, you know, that's kind of a, I guess a fear for me mm. would just be that I'm a good dad that I'm setting him up. Right. You know, leading him down the right path so that he can thrive and be blessed and be successful and have an awesome life and and to be there for that and to continue to be there for that for as long as I can. That and kids, that's another layer too. Uh, I have 
I have two of them that are 18 years apart. I have a three-year-old son and a tw- I'm sorry, she's 21. <laughs> I'm getting old. Oh, you can, you can <laughs> cut that part out of the interview. Though. <laughs> I, I, don't worry, I intend to. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is like when you have multiple children, but even one, your fears become irrational, right? Like you'll be laying awake at night and you're thinking like, what if we were to go on vacation and you know we're on a cruise and the three-year-old gets too close to the to the fence on the outer rim of the ship like (laughs) it's never going to happen i'm never taking him on a cruise (laughs) stuff like this like you know it it fuels you and it it, i think it prepares you for being a more vigilant parent a more vigilant person if that makes sense or maybe i'm just fucked up which is entirely plausible (laughs) (laughs) so you're going to be going through europe you're going to be seeing uh, a great deal of what culture has to offer there now. What do you think, what are your thoughts on, you know, culture at large now versus then? Because I think the world's, I think the younger people are actually in a better place than we were in the nineties. Hmm. I think for me personally, I'm looking forward to actually appreciating and enjoying the culture. Whereas 25 years ago, it just, first of all, I wouldn't buy like a blip. But also, I was, you know, young and an idiot and didn't really pay attention to much and, you know, ate at the, the local UK McDonald's and, you know, didn't really appreciate or enjoy what there was to offer. So, I hear there's really good Indian food. Oh, yeah. John won't let us eat Indian food here until we get over there. So, I <laughs> don't overdo it, you know. <laughs> um, so, I'm, I'm just looking forward to, you know, experiencing the culture as a 50-year-old instead of a 25 year old. that looks like well i i don't think any of us are equipped at that age to really appreciate what culture has to offer but well i think what i'm talking more about is the youth culture i think kids now are actually you know that they are delivering the promise of what we were all kind of aspiring to back then with you know the inclusivity and you know the nature of of the world at large we were railing against so many things that don't need to be railed against as much anymore as far as uh you know things like gay rights and the like you know that was a big deal in the 90s to even take that stance now the younger people are all on board with it Mm. it's people our age who are not um so to be part of a rarefied a cult group of people who were on board with it, seeing that promise delivered upon is very exciting to me. And to see it abroad, the idea of it's incredible to me. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's kind of what I was wondering. Like, are you looking forward to seeing what these kids are all about nowadays? 
I mean, I would love it if kids came to our shows, but yeah. I'm wondering if kids are going to come to our shows. It might just so, be us. So, yeah, it could just be people are in our age group. It's really hard. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I'm really interested to see is like who's going to be in this audience. And, you know, I realize that a lot of 95% of the people at these the shows with Mogwai are there to see Mogwai and they're just yeah. happen to be the opening band. But I'm still kind of want to see what what's what we have a number of shows that are our shows but yeah 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 i agree i I'd, I'd be cool too if just even if just some people walked away as newfound fans of the band uh, tim and i were able to do an interview with the local university of date professor named art gypsum and he has this what is his class even called just like the coolest class ever it's it's a sociology major class but it's like just pop pop culture music pop culture yeah something like that but he shows them the Brainiac documentary, his whole class. Wow. And then he just, just puts it out there and just lets it be. And then they just, he was telling us how they come to him and are like, yeah, I want to check that band out. And like, Hissing Craigs is my favorite. And our other kid be like, oh, you know what? I, that really resonated with me. And I went, I, Bonsai Superstar is amazing. And then the other person's like, gosh, this is terrible. You know, but, <laughs> but they're experiencing it in all different ways. And so hopefully that's, Maybe that translates a little bit with the Mogwai people, both young and old that maybe haven't heard us like, hey, this this is different. I can't imagine anyone who likes Mogwai wouldn't have heard of Brainiac though. Mm. You, you know yeah. what I mean? That just, uh, it seems like they're part and parcel. But I'm, it's easier to approach it well, that they won't. Say. And then <laughs> if they do, it'll, you know what I mean? It's more like I'd, I'd rather approach it from a, they don't know who we are, and so therefore, you feel more like try a little harder. Yeah, we'll try a little harder, yes. basically. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, and then just lulling yourself into like a comfort zone of some kind. But I think I think the biggest compliment to you guys ever came from the fact that, you know, Buzz from the Melvins was in the documentary and speaking highly of you. I don't care who else you could throw in who would have been a Mogwai fan who were involved in the documentary at one point or another. Buzz is really rough. You know what I mean? He's he's not the the easiest sell. Yeah, he's not saying a lot of nice things about a lot of bands. I mean, no, no. And for him to come out and not only give like a glowing review of everything you've done, but for him to actively want to be a part of a documentary about you guys to me that that is the biggest cosign that could ever possibly befall you yeah and then they also did flight paper yeah oh, right yeah i almost forgot about yeah, that. yeah i couldn't believe that when i saw that like whoa and, i was a little scared to listen to it and then i was really surprised that it was actually really good it's like the melvin's doing flight yeah. paper uh-huh <laughs> It, ma it makes sense and you we're talking about a guy who you know he pisses all over nirvana and makes fun of dave grohl and you know he's not a forgiving guy somebody like that shows up for you that's a big win and right. there's there's a lot of cultural implications when it comes to the melvins too because like brainiac heavily heavily copied like an, an entire entire genres have been built on what the melvins and brainiac have both done you know what i mean there would be the locust wouldn't have happened without brainiac like 
the Dillinger Escape Plan, like bands that are so wide and across the board, borrowed heavily from your oeuvre. That's why I think when you, maybe not the United States, because we're always about 25 years behind everything, but Europe, I think the kids are showing up for this one. I think you're going to be very surprised at what happens. It's funny when you ask that question at first, like doing this then versus doing this now and like comparing and contrast, my mind immediately went to like, when we first went over there, there was no European Union and the, the UK was like, you know, we went over there and every, it hadn't been, like nothing had been redecorated or revamped since the 70s. Everything just looked old. Mm. And and since that time period, there's been the European Union and all this stuff. And then there's been Brexit. So I'm kind of, I was sort of just like, <laughs> well, it kind of is sort of, it's gone back to the way it was when we <laughs> toured before. But I, I do feel like the, you know, like a lot of that was inspired by, people not knowing what they were voting for when they voted for Brexit. And I feel like mm -hmm. a lot of the young people, yeah, at least the young people are like, they know that it was a mistake, I think. So well, Brexit, I think the wool got pulled over everyone's eyes with that one because it was sold, it was packaged and sold as something vastly dissimilar. Right. So when that got voted into being, it, number one, I didn't think it was really going to happen. I thought this was like, right. you know, uh, what was the name of the the fascist right wing then the 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 something front uh national front the national front mm -hmm. i thought it was something like that you know what i mean where you know the smiths would write a song about it making fun of it it was uh, <laughs> they, they they birthed the nazis in in england the nazi skinheads uh and it would you know, basically be bemoaned and tossed aside, but people actually voted for this one. That's the part that like, it made me feel like the whole world was going insane because Brexit happened. We got Trump. What's going on? You know, nothing makes sense anymore, but that's not the youth. That's not the kids doing that. That's, that's people like our age who are <laughs> losing their minds. Yeah. Doesn't make sense to me. But obviously they weren't punks. Unless they're Morrissey, because he's like well into that craziness. <laughs> what a disappointment, right? I guess, you know, hero worship can only go so far, though. Exactly. Say never meet your heroes. Yeah, that's what they say. But I, 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 I can tell you with a great degree of certainty, I've met a majority of mine. And I haven't really been disappointed. Good. That's a good thing. Nice. Yeah, I lucked out. And, you know, meeting HR was a little, from the Bad Brains, was a little strange because he was not well medicated at the time. But he was still nice. He was just out there. Mm -hmm. Out there is okay. I can handle yeah. out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, bearing all of this craziness in mind, what, what is, uh, what's your number one hope? for this like what what do you hope will become of this journey that we make it all the way through yeah <laughs> and, then, and then you're right about the young people like us. yeah <laughs> no, i mean it's exciting that we every time we've done this it's been like a, a a big to do for like a couple of shows that we hope we were able to like distill a bit of of you know what we used to do and 
it's exciting because we actually have an opportunity to like really become a you know a, as fine oiled a machine as we we could hope to be so i think that's exciting especially in the order that we're doing it like being in the uk and then coming back and playing some you know uh being a, a seasoned uh machine you know for the for the home home crowd you know you get to practice on foreign soil <laughs> that's right trial by fire that's pretty intense that takes a lot of uh a lot of courage <laughs> but stupidity i was gonna say if it were just dumb enough to do it <laughs> isn't that how all great things start though yeah just, just, just asking and uh that's kind of part of it too sometimes you just have to ask and people can stay and yeah and you're also allowed to say no is the other part of it just the girl standing in front of the boy asking him yeah it's a beautiful thing so not to beleaguer the point or drag this on any farther where is it that you know you you want to see your legacy because to me it seems it's like it's cemented but do you think what you're doing now is going to like blow it up even further like really cement its face on the mount rushmore of indie rock that's not really for us to decide yeah that's for other people right. to decide where we're gonna yeah. fall in the uh but on the other hand like all this stuff like the archival release of the first of all the documentary and then doing the uh, the record store day archival releases and then this EP because of all that happened like you know there's been press against uh, we were in the New York Times and we were in the Guardian and so and weird things have happened because of that like people have come out of the woodworks and called us or, or written to us about other kind of opportunities and we're not you know necessarily like able to do commit to those things but it has reinvigorated you know in a sense that stuff and so therefore young people who didn't know who we were see that there's a record a new record you know quote unquote new record in in the stores and probably is in reinvigorating you know a, a new sense of brainiac but yeah as juan said like we're not the ones to write this history for ourselves we can we're just uh here to celebrate the music and have a good time I think that speaks to, you know, uh, an honesty within uh, all of you, because if you were chasing some sort of legacy or whatnot, I, that would lend itself in my opinion to be kind of, you know, disingenuous. Like I'm, I'm like doing it for the money. There's no real money in this stuff anymore. We all know that it's, it, this is about love at this point. Actually, we're getting paid a, Bitcoin for some of these. It's Britcoin. Oh, Britcoin. Yeah, yeah. It's a new one. <laughs> oh my god. But there is like there's no there's no uh real payday in music. Not not now, anyway. You're on, only doing it for the love at this point, which is the most beautiful thing anyone can do. Uh I I celebrate this and I have to say in my you know be all end alls when i started this show brainiac was right at the top of the list uh i told tim this uh you know if i could ever get you know a dayton band that meant everything brainiac if it's you know uh san diego would be a rocket from the crypt you know like there's 
for every city there's that band and for dayton you guys were always that band uh do you feel like you're carrying that kind of weight too into the, all of this like being that penultimate dayton band I don't want to think about that at all. <laughs> we, we, we weren't. There's some new existential fears. Yeah. <laughs> new fear. Um, to me, I don't know about the other guys, but to me, it's the opposite. It's not so much of a weight as I think this is another opportunity for, for our Dayton tribe to celebrate with us. And we get to play here in a couple of weeks uh, to a sold out show, and it's going to be a blast. And uh, I think people are really excited about it. And, you know, they want to hear Brainiac songs and we want to play them for them. And it's going to be a really great night. And I think that's, that. there's not a whole lot of weight there to me. It's more just celebration and, mm. and, uh, and love for the city and the people in it. And, and if you've ever seen a Brainiac show in person or on tape, I mean, Tim mentioned Dayton, Ohio about 73 times in a 25 minute set. So we're all about the Dayton. Oh yeah. I mean, Listen, having seen you guys with the Jesus Lizard, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> like, talk about two titans at the heights of their powers and seeing two of the craziest people I've ever seen on stage in two separate bands together in one night. I mean, <clears throat> one's naked, and it's not Tim. <laughs> then, you know, it's two opposite ends of the wild man spectrum mm. but to hold your own with easily one of the most iconoclastic bands of all time jesus lizard and i think you actually blew them off stage that night wow well, thank you for yeah. saying I, that i was oh, yeah. i was in college i drove all the way from scranton pennsylvania to come to that show where was it? What show? It it was in uh was it in Cleveland? It was in Ohio. I know that. Okay. I was under the influence of uh stimulants in order for in order to make make the drive. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for recovery for me, but yeah. yeah, that that's how I got there. And I'm I'm trying to remember it, it which city it was in Ohio. Uh, I know it took me about eight hours to get there. Columbus, wow. Toledo. That's yeah. awesome. It, it had it had to be Cincinnati. Oh, well, that would make more sense. Yeah, because I kind of don't really remember playing with the Jesus Lizard that many cities in Ohio, but Cincinnati. Probably. Cincinnati. Oh, no, Cincinnati was Annie's. Oh. That's yeah, yeah, Annie's. Great yeah, great show. Kind of like a sunken pit area. and. Yep. That was okay. a that was a stellar night. Yeah, really great show. There was there was nudity, there was psychosis, and it was something I will never forget. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I really appreciate you coming out and talking oh, to me tonight and getting all together to do so, uh, which is a rare opportunity. I don't get to do that much on here. Um, the only thing I wish is I could have actually been physically in your presence but you win some you lose some well are you going to be driving on stimulants to come see us in, in the next month um i'm gonna try there will be no stimulants though okay and <laughs> coffee or i don't know where, where do you think you're gonna try to get to um well 
I'm thinking you're playing New York, correct? No, Detroit, Detroit, Cincy, and Dayton. Uh, I'll be going to Dayton then because I'll have a multitude of places to crash without having to pay for a hotel room. Okay. Nice. One of the Anderil brothers or, you know, what, so yeah. the Legion of Doom I could go crash at because I know everybody that lives in that squat to this day. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be there. So I will, if, if and when I know definitely my wife is going to clear me to go, mm-hmm. I will email you and let you know for sure. Cool. Okay. Right on. Awesome. I appreciate it so much, guys. Yeah. yeah hey, thanks right. for doing Thank this. You. Appreciate it. Thanks you have a good night. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice. It means a lot. It means a lot to me that you came on. So I thank you. Oh. Right. <laughs> have a good night, guys. Yeah, you too. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye bye now. Bye. All right, folks. That was my conversation with the gentleman of Brainiac. What an honor. What an absolute privilege. Just so cool that I got to talk to these guys. And I'm going to be harassing them in the future. Uh, Whatever they come up with, whatever they intend to release archivally or otherwise, uh, in Brainiac or outside of Brainiac, I do intend to keep going with them. And... If you don't know Brainiac, get out there and listen. You're missing out. Uh, If you do know Brainiac, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope it was everything you hoped it would be. Uh, They really are an incredible group. They really are vastly important. I'm going to cut it off here. From everyone at 3.33 a.m. Productions... They've been Brainiac. I've been Peter. You've been beautiful. And this has been the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. Good night, everybody.